You're listening to Hawk Talk, the official podcast of Monmouth University Athletics. Here are your hosts, Eddie Acapinti and Greg Viscomi. Another week, another episode of our Hawk Talk podcast. Eddie Acapinti here with you with my co-host and our producer, Greg Viscomi. How are you doing today, man? I'm doing great. I'm really excited for this episode. Oh, this is a great episode. They're all great, but this episode, there's a lot of great things to discuss. We're going to catch up with head football coach Kevin Callahan and and get his thoughts, Greg, not just on uh, all things Mammoth football, but specifically in the offseason. And before we get to some other topics, a really interesting conversation with coach to get his thoughts on a lot of like hot button issues, a lot of issues in, you know, being discussed on social media being discussed in the public and NIL transfer portal. Really great conversation with coach. Yeah, definitely. And, and I just want to point out that we recorded this on Thursday before um, today is Monday, the 10th. And, and most likely that's when this podcast will be coming out and we recorded it on Thursday before, uh, before the weekend. So um, definitely some, some other stuff we, we would have talked to him about in terms of uh, FCS landscape and whatnot, but we, we filled a good 40 something minutes uh, with Coach Callahan, and, and we touched on uh, recruiting. We, we we took a little look at some of the recruits that we brought in um, in that early signing period in, in late December. Uh, we talked talked some NIL. We talked the transfer portal and the impact that that's had, uh, both po- both positively and negatively around around the football landscape. Uh, and we talked a little bit about just kind of the state of the program. It was a, a great, quick forty minutes, and I think. Um, if you are into Monmouth athletics and specifically football in general, uh, I think, or Monmouth athletics in general and football specifically, uh, you're really going to uh, really going to be uh, impressed with with that conversation. And I would even take that one step further. If you're just someone who um, is interested in the college athletics landscape, obviously, coach comes at it from the prism specifically of football because it's it's what he's done here at Monmouth now, going on 30 years next fall. But and even beyond that in his, in his football journey. But, but but if you're interested in any of those topics, Coach has such a just an honest perspective of it. So you, you won't want to miss that uh, on this episode of Hawk Talk. But we have to start where if you're a Mammoth Athletics fan, I think you you just your mind runs to right now. And I think this has been a theme, Greg, of every podcast that we've had on, including the one that we we welcomed on Mammoth head women's basketball coach Jenny Boggess. But we have to start there. This women's team is doing things that if in year three or four of a coach's regime you were doing this, I would be impressed. The fact that it's happening in year one in this wacky season is just amazing. And the most recent example of that is winning on the road at Quinnipiac. The first time a Monmouth women's team has done that since 2012. Outscored the Bobcats 23-8 in the fourth quarter. This women's team is 7-4 and and 2-0 and for the first time in the match. It's unbelievable. It's, you know, we had Stella on, we had Coach Bogus on, and and it was awesome. And you can hear the belief, and you know that they're going to go out and compete every night. But when we were kind of texting back and forth that night, and early on it was a close game, and then by and then I think we were up after halftime, or maybe we were up after the first quarter, and we're saying, okay, like maybe we can do this. And we were short a couple players due to some COVID protocols. Um, but I'm just looking like again at the box score and it's like, it's unbelievable. <clears throat> it's unbelievable how, you know, how they put together it. And it wasn't just one person, you know, Stella Clark was, you know, she had 20, so she was the in quote standout, but 
really they had four players in double figures, and that's coming off of a little bit of a break. There were some players who had missed some games. Uh, it's just it's it's an awesome time to come out and be a Monmouth basketball fan, and it's an awesome time to to really get behind uh, the the women's team. It's a bit of an extended run because of some COVID pauses, but you're looking at a team that's now won three straight in a row, all on the road, two of those in league play. Starting 2-0 and is first time that a Monmouth women's team has started 2-0 and as a member of the MAC. You, you mentioned it, Stella Clark leading four Hawks in double figures. Jen Loro knocks down her 103. Uh, it, it's going to. It, it's starting to get to the point now. Now we're going to have to start talking about this team. It's not just, oh, wow, this is great, the belief and everything. Now you're, you're just looking at it around like, all right, they're the second MAC team to seven wins. They're 2-0. and And Coach is always very quickly to say, listen, you can't get ahead of yourself. And, and she's still very much with her staff in the process of laying the groundwork of what this team and program is going to look like. But now, you know, you look at the schedule, they go to Marist for their next game. So it's almost like, all right, another road challenge against a team that is expected to be, do really well in this league. But it's hard not to see what they're doing and just be very impressed with coach, the student athletes, everything uh, kind of tied around the program in general. It really has been a remarkable thing to see that you and I and, and everyone that follows Mammoth has had a chance to see in real time. Yeah, I mean, honestly, if you look at their their only three, you know, all right, so they're seven and four, so they're three losses. Uh, Syracuse, okay, whatever, that's a, an ACC school. Providence is a big E school, okay. Sacred Heart by three, that was a tough, gritty game here, just didn't have it when they needed it at the end. And then Oregon State here, and that was a game they played really well in, so – those are their losses, and, and everything else is, has been a really good win for them. St. Joe's, Dartmouth, NJIT, like taking care of business. Now we're in the league play, and you're right. You know, they, they got to go out and play at Marist, which is a tough place. They do a really good job getting people in there for those games. Um, and then they got the, you know, then they're home back, well, actually home for four straight against yep. Niagara, Canisius, Fairfield, and Ryder. So um, it, it's it's going to be a little bit of a slog, and, and they need, they knew it this year that that they were going to have to fight in every game. But I don't think you can ask for much more than seven and four with some of the wins that they've gotten already. And they were doing it really pr- primarily on the defensive end early in the year, but now they've scored over seventy each of the last two games. So so this team's starting to really get well rounded. You you know, coach talks about it. She wants to push pace. She wants to get up and down the floor. Um, and scoring seventy six against St. Francis and seventy against Quinnipiac. It is obviously a great way to do that. Uh, if you flip things over on the men's side, uh, which we'll, we'll kind of get into a little bit, you know, the, the schedule is going to get a, a, a bit crazy, but, you know, any kind of COVID season is going to be that way. But if you flip things over to the men's side and you look and see, you, you know, the, ironically enough, this team is still 10-3. and three. They still have the most road wins in the nation, even though they've played and, and going on three weeks with seven road wins. And, and getting ready to come off of, what's going to be a pretty extended pause of 23 days. If all works out, they'll be back at it this Friday against St. Peter's. Um, and, and Greg, I know we've kind of all talked about it internally, but you know, just so excited for these student athletes. Hopefully all works out. Like you said, we're recording on Monday. Hopefully all works out that they're able to get back on the court you know, on Friday. They'd have two road games this weekend, St. Peter's and Marist and, and you know, coach Rice and, and the team, you know, they are ready to get back at it. Oh yeah, definitely. They haven't played a game in a, in a while, and um, you know, unfortunately, had had the COVID pause. And uh, I'm sure Coach will talk more about that on the the Gary and, and King podcast. But 
Uh, there are another ones, you know, excited to get back up the Anatel. Well, it's not the Anatelli center anymore. It's run baby run arena, I believe is what they call it up there in That's Jersey right. city. And, and it's a place that I, we don't have a ton of wins. It's a tough place to play. And it's not even like, you know, they got about 700 people. Well, I haven't been to the new arena, so I can't say that in, in the, in the old, in the Anatelli center, they had about 700 people, you know, it was kind of had a very high school atmosphere and Shaheen Holloway gets his guys to play really hard, and they play really good defense. And Casey Nadefo, he is one of the best defenders I've seen in the MAC in our time here. Uh, he blocks everything, and and no matter, he's just a, a really special uh, shot blocker. So, you know, I think that's going to be a tough one. And then they got to go and play John Dunn's team up at Marist on Sunday, and uh, they play really well at home again. And and if you look at the box scores, yeah, Marist has lost some games, but they have led I in the two games they lost Iona they, they've led them at really late in the game and just couldn't close out the game so these these first two back on the road are are some of the sneakier difficult places to play you know everybody knows playing Iona up at Heinz is hard playing Siena uh over at the Times Union or whatever that's Champions Arena whatever it's called now um those are tough places to win going on the Buffalo trip is a tough place to win but don't don't sleep on how hard it is to go to St. Peter's or Marist and get a W too yeah, and let's look at that kind of, you know, even one step further. At St. Peter's, traditionally, and if you follow if you, you follow the MAC and ask people around the league, they would say the same thing you did, Greg. It's a great point that you bring up. Uh, Marist, because of John Dunn, because of how they play, has become a very difficult place to play. And then the rescheduled game with Iona coming up next Tuesday on the 18th at home. Uh, so the next three, the first three games for Mammoth out of pause, two on the road, one against, um, you know, Rick Patino's Gales. So obviously the challenge in front of this Mammoth men's team, but you know that Coach Rice will have them ready to roll. And you know that they're excited to get back at it. You know, if anything, what this COVID pause has done, you know, the, the team had such a wild road schedule through those first few weeks of the season. So you hope that this reset has kind of gotten them back to, you know, almost to neutral, if you will. And that we're all excited to see them on Friday night. Um, and it kind of goes into our next point of, you know, what this schedule now is going to look like, where you've had the majority of the Mac on pause. What you're going to have now to get games played are these reschedules. You know, you're going to see these early in the week games. And, you know, obviously hats off to everyone that's able to put it together. You and I discussed it on the last podcast, the, the process that is for getting games rescheduled and getting games played. But now fans are going to be able to see, like, yeah, you had a few weeks of some downtime, but now you've got to refresh MammothHawks.com every day. You've got to follow us on social every day because it's going to get to the point where there's going to be games coming fast and furious. Yeah, definitely, and and I just hope we get all 20 in. You know, that that's my big thing, and uh, it's easy for me to say I'm not the one preparing these, these young men. I'm not the one who's got to get up and work on game plans, or I'm not the one who's going to even be playing in the game and have to play three games in a weekend. So I don't want to trivialize how hard it is to play three basketball games in a week and, and compete at a high level in all of them. But uh, I just want to get the 20 in so that at the end of the day, when we all head down to Atlantic city, it, it's a, it's a level playing field and, and you really know that the seeds are where people deserve to be. So um that's what I'm looking forward to, but you're right. We're going to have some Tuesday night home games. Uh, really going to need the people to come out and, and, you know, don't worry about it if it runs late. Just call out of work on Wednesday. I mean, nobody wants to be at work on Wednesday anyway. If anything, it, it does work out better that you get that come to the game, you get that midweek little break, kind of recharge yourself. Then you go back to work for a couple of days and then get ready for a big weekend 
uh, of Monmouth men's or women's basketball. Uh, a great point you bring up. You know, you also brought up Atlantic City, and, and obviously everyone preparing for you know the championships down there, and, and you're going to see some great things rolling out from the athletics department as far as hotel rates and as far as the different. Uh, events and things going on around the games down in Atlantic City down in March. We have the March to Atlantic City jackpot going on now. I know there's been some rescheduling, but those are still being honored, obviously, for that. But we talk championship there. We've got to talk a little championship here before we get to Coach Callahan. Um, there's a couple of football championships that we have to discuss. We're football guys, so we have to do that. Plus, Greg produces the podcast. So if he says we're going to talk about it, I say <laughs> absolutely. But I obviously never miss a chance to talk football. And before we talk, Greg, the FBS National Championship game, I know you probably, as I did, were glued to the FCS National Championship game. You know, two years ago in the spring, Monmouth lost a tough one to Sam Houston. And Houston went on to win the FCS National title this year kind of a return to you, what you expect at that level with North Dakota State winning yet another championship against a, a banged-up Montana State team. Yeah, definitely, and, and North Dakota State proved once again that they are the class of the FCS. Um, they are the Alabama of the SCS, make no mistake about that. I think they've won eight of the last nine or seven of the last nine national championships. Uh, I was pulling for Montana State. I mean, it, we went out there, and, and, and those – that atmosphere was awesome, and the people out there were really good people. Uh, and I just wanted to see somebody different. And, and once um, I missed the, fir- the beginning of the game, I had to run my son to a indoor lacrosse game. Uh, but I missed the beginning, and we were texting back and forth, and you had said that, that the Montana State's freshman QB, who had been phenomenal in the playoffs, had gotten hurt. And, and I watched the rest of that, and they just they could not get anything done uh, offensively. And then the the, the – the North Dakota State running attack is just so imp- impressive. I mean, you know, I'm a big fan of running the ball. I love to run the ball. I love what the Eagles are doing running the ball. Um, <laughs> so it, it's just impressive to line up and be like, hey, we're going to run power at you and we're going to run all this other stuff. And uh, you know we're going to do it, so you can put eight in the box and uh, we're still going to to get four, five, six, seven, eight yards and then we're going to break a long one on you too. So it's impressive to watch. I'm, you know – being a fan, I'm I'm ready for somebody else in, in both the FCS and FPS to kind of take over, and um, I still think it's possible in the FCS um, realm for other teams to kind of make it interesting. Uh, I don't know how possible that's becoming in the FBS, um, but it was it was a it was a great season, and um, looking forward to to getting into spring ball and then getting back with the Hawks for season number thirty. I know, unbelievable that it'll be season number 30 this coming fall. Um, I, I know as we record this year on Monday, I know, um, you know, we, we have the football seasons, obviously, on the college side, winding down NFL is surging into the playoffs, like you said, with your Eagles uh, making a playoff run. Um, any thoughts as we yeah, – it's almost – it's funny, right? We're going to put this out on Monday, so hopefully everyone can get your thoughts on it. But but you have any, any thoughts on tonight's? FBS national championship game with you know Kirby Smart's Bulldogs and Nick Saban's Crimson Tide. I, I hear what you're saying. I think North Dakota <laughs> State, it's easier to topple them than what Alabama's doing. Like you said, as I sit here as an announcer with absolutely no pull at all. But but do you have a, a, a thought on tonight's game? I know you love defense and running the ball. You're going to see that in a whole bunch more this evening. Yeah, definitely. Um, I don't. I You know, I think I think it's fun that, that it's a rematch. 
uh, from a couple of weeks ago. And I, you know, obviously at the FBS level, I, I pull for Michigan. I like to see Michigan succeed and win. So I was excited that they had, you know, got a season together to get into the semifinals. I was not so excited as we sat down to watch that game the other night. Uh, but I'm pulling f- for Georgia just like somebody different. You know, I have the utmost respect for what Alabama and Coach Saban has done there. It's it's unbelievable. And I truly do believe that right now we are watching the three best coaches uh, at their respective levels um, in in history. You know, you're watching Bill Belichick. You're watching Nick Saban. And you're watching Kevin Callahan at the SCS level. Those are the three best in, in, in history of coaching. So – uh, I think it's a special time. I tried to explain that to my son the other day because he was kind of whining about how uh, the same teams always win. And I said, yeah, no, that that's true. It, it has happening. And that's a whole other podcast we can get into, uh, you know, with the haves pulling away from the have-nots or maybe the have-maybes. Um, but, no, I, I don't know. I think it's going to be a good game tonight, and, and I hope Georgia's defense is up to the task. Year number 30, this coming fall for Kevin Callahan and Mammoth Football. He joined Greg and I on this episode of Hawk Talk. And, and like we said at the very beginning of this, whenever we get to kind of sit down and talk to Coach, I, I feel smarter after the conversation, whether we're talking football, whether we're talking you know, strategy or, or just kind of life questions. We get into that with Coach and, and you know, Greg, for uh, us to be able to do this and have the, have the conversation with Coach at this time, you know, the, the offseason has become so much more important, at least publicly. It was always that way privately, but now there's so much more around it with recruiting, with NIL, with transfer portal conversation. So when, when we get to corral Coach like we did and, and get a pretty, you know, inside look, and he was very you know, open and honest, you know, I was kind of just jotting down notes the entire time, and I know that uh, you know, obviously it was a great job by, by you being able to, to get Coach and have his availability. So, you know, as, as we kind of prep the view or the listener, excuse me, for for this conversation, I guess what were the things that kind of stood out most to you um, when we had a chance to sit down with Coach? Uh, I just think the whole conversation. You know, every time you talk to him, and I talk to him a lot every single day. Um, I, I tell anybody who listens that in my sixteen plus years here, Coach Callahan has taught me a lot about football, and he's taught me more about life. And I think every time you sit and talk to him, you're surprised at, at kind of what he knows. He's very well read. He's not a football guy a thousand percent of the time like some of these guys are. And that's what makes him, I think, a good coach and an even better human. Uh, and you, and while we did talk mostly football, you know, and that was the point of the 45-minute conversation, I think you can definitely get an appreciation. You know, maybe people who don't know him as well or haven't had um, – you know, the, the time that, you know, some of his former players and staff have had with him, you, you get to really figure out how and why he's so respected. And, um, and he's somebody we're definitely going to have on more. I'd love to have him come on and talk about other stuff. Uh, you know, the, you know, we, we talk about all sorts of wild stuff uh, from everything from hunting to, you know, every making soup. Uh, he's, he, he knows a lot of stuff. So I don't know. I, I just, the whole conversation was great. And I think it'll give you some good insight to hear uh, a college football coach talk honestly about uh, those topics that you mentioned. Well, like Greg mentioned also, not just this podcast, but make sure that you keep it locked to the King and the Badger podcast as well with some great conversations with coach Rice and Gary Kowal. But uh, it was our pleasure to sit down with mama's head football coach, Kevin Callahan, get his thoughts 
on a lot of those off-season topics and just a, a great conversation that we're able to have with them. And Kevin Callahan is this week's guest on Hawk Talk. There's always a, a, just a great vibe and energy in the room when we're able to catch up with Mammoth Head football coach Kevin Callahan. And, and Coach, first of all, we appreciate you joining us today. How you doing? I'm doing great, guys. It's uh, great to be on with you today. You know, when we get to do these, these have these conversations, you know, Greg, I, I love talking to all of our student athletes, all of our coaches, but there's just a little something special about being able to sit down with the only head football coach that mom has ever known and Coach Callahan. And uh, I go to him with light things. So the fact that we just get to talk football with him is uh, it's a treat for all of us. Yeah, I don't think it's just you who goes to him for light things. I think it's the <laughs> entire department. I mean, if you walk by, it, it's if you walk by the office, it's it's actually astounding to see nobody sitting in that chair, much less whether it's a football student athlete or another head coach or an assistant coach. Um, everybody goes in there to get a little bit of knowledge. Well, guys, you may be giving me too much credit here. I think, uh, you know, a lot of times if people are just coming by, they're pretending they're going to visit their grandfather, and, and that's why they're coming <laughs> by. It's guilt. <laughs> they're getting over their guilt. It's a really risky move when coach has the door open because that means he's open for business, and then we, we can all come in, and, and whether it's life things or uh, I, I'll pop in there and just talk clock management issues that happened in the NFL with coach. I learned so much just from popping into coach's door. And, coach, again, we appreciate you joining us. And, you know, after – what's been just a wild run for Mammoth football, right? From you know, playing literally two seasons in one year, including a championship season, uh, having another tremendous season this past fall. Uh, have you finally had a chance to, to kind of sit down and, and after another recruiting cycle and take a deep breath just quite yet? Well, we had a little time over the holiday, but uh, honestly, uh, you know, as you guys know, football is, is it's, it's year round. I mean, and it used to be that there was the season, then there was recruiting, then there was the off season, then the summer, and then you'd come back around to the season again. But recently, in the uh, most recent years, it's become you recruit 365 days a year, and you hope that you can you know, uh, free up a few Saturdays to maybe play some games. <laughs> and and that, that's kind of the mode that we're in right now. Uh, but speaking of recruiting, I, I think we had an exceptional rec uh, recruiting year, at least through the early signing period. We're not quite finished yet, but in the early signing period, I thought we were able to bring in some very talented uh, young men, guys who are going to be great fit for the Mammoth football family. Well, Coach kind of leads us right into to that point. And, and Coach, like you mentioned, the recruiting class that comes in is seems to be across the board really impactful student athletes that will be joining, including um, a, a big you know, impact transfer that comes in, a couple players coming in early. But you know, just from an overall perspective, uh, just assess the class and, and you know, filling in maybe the spots in the roster that you think you needed to and, and just kind of address some of the young men that will be joining the program. Well, I think overall we, we certainly addressed the needs that we felt we had as a staff, and we were able to bring in some – talented players in, in positions where there may have been depth issues. It may have been in, uh, a situation where we just needed to add some more talent. And I thought the staff was, did an excellent job and we were very successful in doing so. You know, one of the positions that we targeted is we wanted to bring in a, a top level quarterback uh, to be a freshman this year. And we were fortunate enough to, to uh, land Enzo Aronha. Uh, who's from Northern Highlands High School in, in the northern part of New Jersey. Um, very, very talented quarterback, extremely successful in high school. And the best thing about it from our standpoint is he's going to enroll here in January. So he'll have the benefit of the winter program. He'll have the benefit of spring practice, being here throughout the summer, 
all of that before he has his first preseason practice. So uh, we're, we're, we're really excited about Enzo. He's a, a great young man. He's a guy that was at our camp, uh, attended our junior days, which now probably two years ago that we last had a junior day. Um, but very, very talented, mobile, can throw the ball extremely well. Uh, was in an RPO offense in high school, uh, took his team to the state championship game. Uh, unfortunately, they didn't win that game, uh, but his level of play is, is elite, and we're really excited to have him. I saw, yep. you know, I follow a lot of the, sorry, Eddie, a lot of the teams and the local sports writers on, uh, on, on Twitter, and I just kept seeing highlights of their run, Northern Highlands' run through the playoffs, and it seemed like every game he was making some kind of ridiculous throw that uh and now he gets to come in and learn underneath tony musket and and get familiar with the offense and how important is that for him to have that that jump um of an extra semester i i think it's huge i mean i think to you know he we're going to have to bring him along slowly we can't forget that he's a first semester freshman and expect him to conduct himself like a sophomore or junior. So we've got to make sure that, first of all, he, he successfully makes a transition from high school to college that most college-going students uh, first uh, experience in September when they go away to school. His is going to happen here just after the holidays, which will be different for him. We want to make sure that uh, he gets secured academically uh, and, and he, he gets uh, adjusted to the college academic schedule. You know, it's not like high school where you go to school at 7.30 in the morning and you get out at 2.30 in the afternoon. So he's going to have to uh, go through all the transitional processes that most freshmen do, but it's at the middle part of the year. Uh, people already have roommates. People already know who they're living with. He's going to be the new kid on the block. So that's going to take some special care uh, from our coaching staff to make sure he makes all of those adjustments and all those transitions successfully. But I think the advantage of coming in early, and, and Enzo and his family realize this as well, is that he, he gets a jump start, not just on the football aspect and the physical development part of it, but he gets a jump start, a jump start on uh, who his new teammates are, and he's going to become comfortable. So when it comes time to start the 2022 season, he's going to have a high level of comfort here. He's going to be in his comfort zone uh, at Monmouth, and I, I think there's a, just so much advantage, so many advantages in that. I think well, and, and coach, that season, like you mentioned, and, and, you know, Greg, I know something that you and I were talking about. It's so important to get these student athletes here, coach, to be able to have development that the previous couple of classes, because of the climate we find ourselves in, um, haven't had the ability to do so with the interrupted schedule, with, uh, you know, the challenges that that's presented, not getting full off season. So that's great to hear that you can kind of get back to that regular schedule that you and the staff is used to. Well, it, it's interesting, you know, as I was, you know, talking with our staff the other day, the only our rising seniors, our fourth guys who would be fourth year players in the fall, that's the only class who's ever gone through uh, an off season or a spring practice season here at Monmouth University. Uh, because we were shut down in 2020, we played an actual season, a competitive season in 21. Uh, 2000, the winter of 2019 was the last time that we had an off season. We've only got one class of players in our program that have ever been through that. And that's such a critical time in terms of physical development, not just for your younger players, but for all of your players. And, and I think what we saw this past season in 21 was that, that that lack of development time wasn't really exposed because we had so many 
fifth and sixth year players on the roster. And, and we depended on those guys as we should have, and they were our leaders. And the younger guys weren't asked to step up. So we're going to uh, talk with Tim Ream, our head strength and conditioning coach for football. Uh, we're going to change a little bit about what we do this spring. Uh, our our schedule is going to be altered a little bit. We're going to start spring practice a little bit later, uh, condense the practices maybe somewhat. But we want to extend that winter period where in, in most years we would go through our strength and conditioning program from the beginning of the semester in January up until spring break. Then when we return from spring break, we would transition into spring practice and actually get on the field. Well, this year we're going to come back from spring break and have at least two more weeks of winter strength training and conditioning before we go into spring practice, just because I think we need to maximize this off-season period given that we have missed the last two. How much of that winter training, obviously it's, it's nutrition, it's getting in the weight room, but how much of it is in the classroom, so to speak, for football? Uh, well, with the limits that are put on us, hourly limits by the NCAA and what we can and can't do, uh, we can watch film with them. Uh, you're limited to two hours a week in doing that. So what we try to do is, is, is carve out two days a week where we can spend 30 minutes on each one of those days with our team, with our players, uh, in their own position meeting rooms, and, and, and just talk football with them talk football, uh, watch video with them, have them study video, because I think that's also a part of their development is improving their understanding of the game, improving their football IQ, and, and seeing things that happen on the field, you know, when it's not during the course of a game. I, I think it really helps in their development, some positions more than others. Say in the cases we were talking about a young quarterback, that's going to be huge for him to do that. Defensive backs, very important for them to do that. Even in the offensive line and how they're going to pick up certain pressures and when they need to slide and do different things, that's going to be very important as well. Uh, so we try to take advantage of that so that by the time we take the field for spring practice, our players are pretty far along. Most of the installation has been done. Uh, they, if there's anything new that we want to take a look at, that's been taught, that's been installed. And it, those things all make the practices run much more efficiently when we do get out there. So it doesn't just sound like this incoming class of student athletes, including the, the two that are going to be here early, have right coach to get up to speed. But it's also going to be some of the young guys in the program, like you just mentioned. I think that's such an interesting point. Some of these talented players that we knew about maybe one or two years ago, but then they come in and they're playing behind fifth and sixth year players. Do you almost look at it like, like you said, their first winter in the program and almost kind of like hitting that reset button for kind of the next step now for the Mama's football program, which will enter year number 30 next fall? Well, that, that's exactly what it is, Eddie. I mean, it, it's, it's resetting. It, it's kind of reestablishing uh, the culture of our team. Not that, not that I think we're in a bad place culture-wise, but it gives us a chance as a program to kind of reinforce the things that are important to our football culture. And, and those things, that, that, uh, establishing that culture, reinforcing that, those things typically take place in your winter program, uh, which is something we haven't had. And I think that, that that's going to be very important uh, for our development this year um, I'm excited well, by it and, and one of the things that you know when you look at our 2021 team you know as I said earlier it was um, you saw a lot of fifth and sixth year players on that roster a lot of fifth and sixth year players on the field and while as a coach 
you really value that experience and, and, and the veteran presence that you have and the leadership that they bring, what the unintended consequence of having such an older team is that it in some ways suppresses the development of your younger guys. It suppresses their physical development because in a normal year without the pandemic, they would have been asked to play and contribute. Well, now maybe they weren't in certain positions. It also suppresses their voice and their opportunity to develop as leaders because there are so many older guys. So when you take away this 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 upper layer, the fifth and sixth year guys, even though we're, we're, we're sad to see them go, it also provides a brand new opportunity for the development, for the emergence of new leaders with the younger guys. And, and I'm excited by that. I'm excited to see what this, these, uh, these other guys can do. Because as you said, we felt that we've recruited some extremely talented players over the years, and now it's going to give these guys an opportunity to shine and show what they can do. <laughs> Eddie, still with us? Not only am I with you, the the reason for the pause is <laughs> I, I'm just going over some of these numbers. And, you know, Coach, I know that we're looking at this incoming group of student-athletes. But, you know, Greg, let's let's take a step back for a second. The, the program that these student-athletes, be them, the ones that Coach and the staff are bringing in now, and then the ones that are looking to contribute, listen to some of these numbers that they will be jumping into next fall, this tradition that they get to kind of continue since 2017 Mammoth is 38 and 11 against FCS opponents 23 and 3 in conference play three FCS playoff appearances a couple of league titles so these young guys that coach is mentioning Greg uh, they've got their work cut out for them to really uphold this great tradition and run of success that mom is having that you know I figure you and I have uh, outside of coach have the the best front row seat for uh, obviously these uh, you know these great games coming in the fall And the other thing to add to that, Ed, it also gives us as a coaching staff an opportunity to to reinforce the values of what it takes to have that success. You know, our, we've relied on this this older group, these fifth and sixth year guys that I'm referencing, and and with the other guys, younger guys, in a lot of ways. And and this is nothing, not a knock against them, but they've kind of been along for the ride. Now it's their turn to be the guy. Our success is going to depend on what they do and in understanding what it takes to win and how hard you have to work to win. Those habits are developed traditionally in your off season. And that's another uh, reason that this off season is so critical to us. I think when we talk about these, the, the fifth and sixth year guys, it is truly unbelievable what they've done in since 2017, which is when you know, like Lonnie Moore caught his first touchdown pass in the in the UNI uh, playoff game in 2017. So if you think about, that's the first year we made it to the playoffs. We got a couple conference titles in there, three playoff runs, a playoff victory. Uh, you know, moving on to the second round of the playoffs. In, in five years, that group has really ushered in uh, the next maturation of this program. That is. 29 going on 30 years young. And I only say that because if you look around, most of the successful football programs out there, most of them, not all of them, most of them have been playing football for 50, 60, 70, uh-huh. 80, 90 years. Good point. And, and, and that 
well, I, I don't think what people really think about, like a lot of that plays into there. Like your facilities are set up. You have older alumni that are making more money that contribute, contribute more money back in. You have more years of success. It's no, it, there's no secret that when you have success on the field in any sport, donors and, and maybe people who didn't play, but, but are fans of the school or people who went to the school, they start to be more generous. So uh, that all comes with having more more years in, underneath your belt. And, and this program only has 29 of those. The, the oldest alums, the guys who came in in 93 are what, four years old. They're 46 years old, 47 years old. Right. You know, they're, they're not even retired yet. They, some of them haven't even made, you know, made their businesses or made, made the bulk of their financial success yet. So uh, it, it's, it's a really an amazing part to get, to see another step, and it really is that that group of fifth year and sixth year guys that that kind of put it on their backs and and you know cha- not change the culture as in there's a bad culture, but set a winning culture, set a, a big time winning culture. Well said, yes. Well, in that culture, it like Greg mentioned, it coach it speaks to, and you and I talked about this a bunch over the years. How uh, this program has hit just continual marks in its ascension. And now the ascension of the program coming to the point, and not to get too far away from, you know, the, the main topics that we wanted to talk about, but, you know, now that expectation of FCS playoffs, which, you know, seven, eight years ago, oh, man, it'd be great. Oh, hopefully, you know, the league has a bid. But now getting to that point where that's the expectation, championships are the expectation, but it's just the latest of the run of success and expectations that you've provided for this program. So as you enter year 30 with this recruiting class, uh, with this run of success that the team is on, um, you know, do you ever, and not to do too much of this, but do you ever get to kind of look back and say, you know what, we have accomplished a whole bunch and, and we're just getting started. Well, I, I try not to dwell on the past too much, to be honest with you. I, I need to be always looking forward and seeing what we can do next. Uh, and to follow up what you said, Eddie, uh, this group that's leaving us, they have really established a new standard for Mammoth football. They've set a new level of expectation of where and where we want to be and where we need to be each and every year. It's not just enough to win a conference championship. It's not just enough to have a winning season, but it's FCS playoffs. And it's, it's, uh, our, the goal is there to go and compete for a national championship. And, and as we continue to recruit more and more talented players, I think the more we win, the better the talented talent we're able to recruit. And I mentioned, you know, some of Enzo's exploits before. We also did very well at the linebacker position and filling in needs that, that, that I felt were there on our team. Two of the guys that signed with us, uh, uh, Charlie Sasso and uh, uh Demir McCrary, both All-State players uh, in in New Jersey this year. Uh, Sasso was a Defensive Player of the Year uh, a year ago. Uh, McCrary was a Defensive Player of the Year in New Jersey this year. And so I think they're guys that can have an immediate impact. Uh, They're guys that that fill needs that we have uh, by way of graduation. And we're excited to see what they can do. Uh, And then staying on the defensive side, uh, Bryce Rooks is a quality interior defensive lineman. Uh, he played at St. Peter's Prep here in New Jersey. Older brother plays at the University of Michigan. Uh, I think he's going to be a great addition to our interior line, which is a spot where we lose some guys through graduation as well. And we were able to help on the back end on defense with a, a transfer, as you mentioned earlier, from Temple, uh, Thomas Joe Kamara, uh, a, a young man that we recruited out of high school and, and worked hard to try to get. Uh, had an opportunity to go to Temple, 
um, and, and now feels that he has a great opportunity to come here to Monmouth. So those are just a few of the guys that make up this class. As I said, we're excited about all of them. I, I think they're all guys that are going to come in and help and make an impact and guys that kind of fit the level of expectation and, and I have the ability to play up to the standard that we have set for ourselves. And seeing on social media all of that, those accolades, like Greg mentioned earlier, come in with all of these, you know, a lot of these players that are coming in, in, you know, like you said, the incoming freshmen in Sasso and McCrary, and, and to see the attention that Tom Show Kamara received, you know, obviously after a, a great run at Temple. You know, Coach, the, these student athletes are coming in and they're entering this program that we've kind of outlined. Uh, now that your staff has a couple years of experience recruiting during a pandemic, has it? How much has it changed from you know a class or two ago to now? I know you know at the time we could do a little bit more throughout this past fall than we could now, but I know the challenges that that presents uh, to you and the staff and to staff all over the country. Uh, obviously, something still that's still being felt. Well, it, it, as it regards as it pertains to recruiting. Uh, the pandemic was certainly a game changer uh, as a coaching staff and and probably not just the staff here at Monmouth, but across the country, we had to find different ways to accomplish the goal, which is bringing in a class. You know, the truth be told of our current freshmen, the guys who are freshmen here at Monmouth right now, they did not have the opportunity to visit here. They didn't come on official visits. They weren't here for junior days. They didn't come to camps in the summer because we were shut down during that entire time. Uh, our contact with them was probably probably in January of 2019, which would have been uh, their juniors and when we could go into the schools and evaluate them. And then we really didn't have a lot of, we didn't have any face-to-face contact with them. So we learned, like everybody else did, we learned the value of Zoom. We learned the value of FaceTime and how to communicate and establish relationships uh, with these players, the prospects and their families um, through technology. And, and that's something that I think we all learned a valuable lesson with because there's, even when the pandemic is over and we're beyond it, there's going to be a place to utilize that technology that will enhance our ability to get out and recruit. And, and I think that's, that, that's an outstanding thing. You know, the biggest thing for me in, in recruiting in, in any year is, is to establish the relationships with the prospects, with their families, with the people that are going to influence decisions. And you've got to, if you want to do a good job in recruiting, you've got to spend a lot of time on that aspect of it. And, and so we had to find ways to continue to do that, maybe not as successfully as actually sitting down with them, but we had to find ways to accomplish that when we couldn't. And to credit our staff, I thought they did an absolutely phenomenal job in doing that. And then as we kind of started working out of the pandemic last summer, this most recent class that we signed here in December, we were able to have some contact with. We did have some camps here on campus. Uh, so it, it, it appeared that we are getting back to some uh, sort of normalcy right now. But the pandemic was a game changer, and, and not just for Monmouth, but I think for all sports, all coaches across the country. Coach, kind of circling a little bit back to um, to Thomas Joe Kamara and, and one of the things that Eddie and I talked about briefly when we we interviewed Stella Clark uh, last time around was uh, I, I didn't really understand. I couldn't understand when I first took this job, you know, following social media. When we recruited a student athlete and he came on campus, maybe had a good visit but ended up going somewhere else, whether it's an FBS opportunity or maybe another opportunity at the FCS level. And, and I would see our coaches still continue to interact with them 
you know, after they signed and, and, and like the things and celebrate their successes and be congratulatory. And I'm sitting here going, you know, when I was younger going, man, that kid didn't choose to come to Monmouth. What, what do we care if he's doing well at XYZ school? Uh, and, and, and I think it's a twofold thing and you can expand on this. One is you, you are building relationships as you recruit these kids, as you recruit these players with their families, with them, with their coaches. But then there's always the other thing like a Thomas Joe Kamara where if they go and they don't get the opportunity or they don't get the experience they're looking for, they can always come back. Well, I, I think there's a, a couple of ways to look at that. Number one, uh, as you said, the establishing of that relationship is important. And it's not just a short-term relationship. It's not just a relationship so that the player will decide to attend Bomith University. It's a relationship that's going to last forever. They may be playing on an in-conference opponent's team, and you're going to see them after the game. And, and at least our philosophy, my philosophy, is that you want to have the same relationship with that young man then as you did if, if he was on our own team here. So I think our relationships that we establish are genuine. They're sincere. And, and you truly do develop that with the young man and his family. And I think when a young man decides to go somewhere else, I mean, although you, it's very competitive and you want very desperately for them to choose Monmouth, we know going into it that not every person is going to choose to come to Monmouth. Uh, we couldn't take them all. We wouldn't have enough spots for all of them. And so if, if, when they choose to go someplace else, it's because wherever they chose to go, in their mind, in their family's mind, that place checked all the boxes and, and had all the things that they prioritized as being important to making a decision. To me, you can't fault a young man from that. You can't be angry at a, at a person for doing it that way. And so when they choose to go somewhere else, the, what, what our staff does is we wish them the best of luck. We let them know that if there's ever anything that we can do for them, please don't feel, don't feel bad about reaching out to us because we're going to be here. And I think because we do establish such great relationships, it's, we make it easy for them to do that. And then you come back to the, the situation that we were just talking about with Thomas Joe Kamara. When Thomas decided he wanted to leave Temple and he entered the portal, we were the first school he called. Um, he came, he was able to visit campus. Um, he had been here several times before going back to his junior year in high school. He knew us. And, and I think a great thing for, for, for Mammoth is that all of our same coaches were still in place. It's the same coaching staff. We've had tremendous continuity with the coaching staff here at Mammoth university. And, and I think, I think there's a sense of security in that. So when Thomas reached out to us, you know, Coach Gallo, who recruited him, was still here. Coach Walker, who was our secondary coach, was still here. The head coach, me, I was still here. And, and so it was a very easy transition for him. And, and he, he came back, visited with us, and what he saw is they're still the same people. Mammoth is still what it was. It's still as it presented itself two years ago when I chose to go to Temple. And, and so I think there's some comfort in that. And that's the way we try to do it so that when a young man decides to go to another institution, that if he feels he needs to make a change, that it's somewhat like he's coming home if he comes back to Monmouth and, and that the people are going to be the same. How um, no, almost, Oh, go ahead, Eddie. No, I was going to say, Greg, that's a, you know, I think everyone talks, you know, transfer portal. It's, you, you can't, regardless of sport, go online and not see it. But coach, that success story that you detailed, I think is, you know, the side of the transfer portal that people don't see because either they think it's 
you know, it, it's on, it's a buzzword. It's on every, everyone's talking about it, but no one really understands it. But your ability to take us into that relationship with Thomas Joe Kamara and talk about that portal success story. You know, I, I'm just curious, you know, it, it seems like the process at Monmouth hasn't changed. The things around the process have, there is a transfer portal, but the way you go about it, still successful, whether it happens right out of high school or whether it happens, you know, with a player looking for another opportunity, which leads me to the larger conversation uh, of the transfer portal and how you choose to navigate it. Well, I mean, the transfer portal is interesting. I think it's, it's caught everybody. Um, I don't want to say by surprise, but I don't think anybody really anticipated what it was going to be when the NCAA first established it. Uh, certainly the NCAA didn't. They had no idea what they were creating uh, because it's wide open now. And I think there's no restrictions on it in a lot of ways. We've opened, we meaning the NCAA, uh, college athletics has opened up a can of worms. And I'll be the first one that I say I'm in favor of athletes having opportunities and being able to do what they want to do. I'm, I'm pro-athlete, pro-student athlete in that regard. But there's positives and negatives to the portal as we've seen it so far. I think, number one, on the negative side, in some ways we're teaching people how to quit. We're telling them it's okay to quit when things get tough. We're telling them that if, if you don't like something, there's this magic destination called the portal that you can go and all your problems are solved. That's simply not true. And I think in a lot of ways, on another negative side, it's seen as a destination for athletes if they're not receiving the instant gratification that they're seeking at their current school. As of this morning, there were 4,260 football players in the transfer portal. 4,260. Not even close to all of those players will find what they're looking for. Very, I'm saying the majority of them will not because most of them that do, it's been proven, know where they're going before they enter the portal. Uh, it, it's not like shopping at Walmart and you go up and down the aisles and find what you're looking for. Uh, that's, that's how it's being presented, but that's not what it is. Uh, but on the, on the positive side, I think, you know, a, a player not having to sit out who wants to, to transfer to another school, I think is a good thing. For the longest time, football and basketball were the only sports where you had to sit out. Everybody else could do it. The soccer kid can do it. The baseball kid can do it. Why couldn't a football player do it? I think football and basketball players earned and deserve that right. Um, I think it provides colleges and opportunity, colleges, universities, opportunities to fill voids in their roster where maybe they, they uh, have a depth issue caused by injury, caused by somebody going into the transfer portal. And, and so you can replace that person. And, and, and honestly, we've used, we have utilized the portal and it's been a benefit for us. Now we're not 100% um, putting all of our recruitment into the portal. But last year we brought in four players from the portal who were very, very key players to our team. They helped us balance out our roster. They helped us fill some depth. They helped us uh, uh, bring in, it helped us bring in players who were going to contribute for us. So in that way, I'm in favor of it. But I think with no restrictions on when a player can go in, what time he, the time frame of him, uh, leaving, no academic requirements on it. I think what we're going to see as we move forward is I think we're going to see some restrictions and requirements put on the portal uh, that are going to affect those things. 
The other thing that occurs is the early signing day is December 15th. You could go out and recruit your class and sign it only to, only to find out on December 20th that 15 of your current players are in the portal. And so what did you just sign? It really challenges your ability to manage your roster as a head coach because you never really know what you have or what you don't have. Another fear that every college coach, at least in football, has is that you could have spring practice in a month of April and get to the end of May or middle of May and, and lose your, your, your star player or two or three of your star players. You haven't developed the other guys during spring practice because they were the guy you recruited with the understanding that that player was still going to be with you, and now they're gone and you're heading into preseason practice and you just lost how many ever players. So there's some things that have to be done. Um, I think the idea of creating freedom for the student-athlete was the driving force behind it. That was certainly accomplished, but I don't think all of the – the consequences that come with it were really thought through. I thought, I think there was a kind of a, this philosophy that, Hey, let's just open it up and see what happens. Well, we're seeing what happens right now. As I said, 4,260 players in the portal, they can't possibly all find what they're looking for. Coach taking like taking the, the portal out of it for a minute or, or keeping it in it, but maybe the, the wild West scenarios, uh, how do you go into as a staff, I think people think you just go out there and you say, well, this kid's good, we're going to take him. This kid's good, you're going to take him. This kid's good, you're going to take him. And that's how you fill out a class. But that's not how a class is filled out. You go in with a set amount of we need to fill this many spots due to graduation at this this place, that place. How do you guys go about selecting that? In a general recruitment you're talking about, Right, correct? not yeah, taking the portal okay. part of it out. Um, our process starts with what we have available from a scholarship standpoint, how many players or how many scholarships we have allocated for that incoming class. We then take that number of scholarships and we match it to who we're losing off our current roster, who we're losing off our offense, who we're losing off our defense. Then we prioritize the positions that we need to replace. And and sometimes it's not just guys moving on from graduation. Uh, sometimes it's guys where you've maybe had a career-ending injury. So you, you've got to find out what we need to bring in in this position. And then we target those players. And, but we're recruiting all positions, but our priorities are going to be for those to fill our specific needs. Because at the end of the day, we're trying to bring in the best players available. And the example there, Greg, if we're trying to bring in two linebackers in a class, uh, we get two commitments. But a third linebacker wants to commit. And he's a very talented player. And when we match what we think his impact can be up against maybe another defensive lineman, a tight end, a defensive back, if we feel that he would bring more valuable to the table, well, he's the next best player on the board. We'll take him as that third linebacker because the impact we think he can have. And then it's up to us as a coaching staff to figure out how to make the pieces work once we get him here. And, and so that's kind of the way we go about it. But as much as we're looking for talented players in specific positions, we're looking for the fit at Monmouth University and the fit for Monmouth football. There's a special type of athlete, a special type of player that I think is going to be successful here at Monmouth. You know, there's three things that are important to our staff when we recruit anyone. And the first one is that they're good people. They're guys with good character. They're going to make good decisions. They're going to do the right thing, whether it's on the field, in the weight room, in the dorm, in the classroom, in the dining hall, out in a public setting. You know, secondly, 
We want guys that are academically motivated. You know, Monmouth is an institution where you've got to go to class and you've got to go to school. And we want to make sure that the guys we have are have a understand the value of a college education, understand how that education is going to be the vehicle to get them to a destination that they have in mind for themselves four or five years down the road. And they have a family support group that also understands that value. And then the third thing we look for is good football players, talented athletes, guys who have the physical skills and abilities to be successful in a competitive Division I program. And when we find the young men that have those three things, that's when we start zeroing in and establishing the relationships with them. That's when we want to get them to campus with their families. We want to meet them in their homes to try to further that relationship. And, and, and I think that's how we've been able to sustain such a, and maintain such a positive chemistry, a positive culture here in our locker room. I know going into it that every young man – is not going to be a great fit for Mammoth. Even if he checks those three boxes, he comes on his official visit with his family. It's important to me, it's important to us, to make sure that they spend a lot of time with and around our players, not just our coaches, not just administrators, but be with our players. And we use the feedback that our players give us. And there have been times when they say, Coach, I don't think he's going to fit in here. He may be looking for other things. And if that's the case, if there's other red flags that come up, I'll be the first one to sit down with the young man and his family and advise them maybe to explore some of their other options just because I don't think it's going to work here. Doesn't mean they're a bad person. Doesn't mean they don't have the three things we're looking for. It just might not be the best fit. And so in, in taking the, the time to do those things, I think we've been able to establish an incredibly positive uh, team chemistry, uh, a, a, an atmosphere where there's a high level of trust, not only between the players on our team, but also uh, there's a high level of trust between our players and our coaching staff. Because to a man on our team, our players understand that we have their best interests at the top of our agenda and every decision that we make. Now, having said that, they're 18 to 22 years old. They may not immediately think that we have their best interests, and they may not immediately agree with things. But I, when they sit back and really think about it, I think they say, yeah, that's probably the right thing to do. Well, we've hit all, almost all of the, like, topics that are, you know, kind of out there and being discussed, right? The portal and how you go about recruiting. And, Coach, that last answer is, like, if someone wants to get into coaching, just listen to what Coach just said, and then there's your playbook. But since man. we got this, yeah, since we got this, Coach, let's keep it rolling. You know, we, we need to get your thoughts on a lot of things. And, you know, you mentioned a couple of questions ago, the opportunity that Mammoth presents to a lot of these student athletes. And I think that's the key word when you talk about the portal. And I think that's the key word that, you know, another hot button topic out there is name, image, and likeness. And it's the, the fact that players now have more Student-athletes, I should say, have more freedom than ever before to go and pursue um, you know, money as it pertains to, to NIL. And, and I know that you've been, from the start of this, at Mammoth, very outspoken and supportive, you know, supporting players and their ability to go do that. But you know, as you've seen that now go through about a year and change of everything, you know, kind of where you, you are on that and knowing that Greg and his team have, uh, and for my money, really one of the better support systems in place to be able to deliver content to players that they can go and then, you know, hopefully be able to capitalize on. Well, Eddie, you know, you're certainly right. I, I was uh, vehemently in favor of the name, image, and likeness uh, legislation. 
I think it's a great thing. I think for the longest time, we were penalizing athletes for not being able to utilize their skills and abilities um, and, and maybe the reputations to make money. And I, and I thought that that was unfair. I mean, we had examples here in the past where, uh, for instance, we had an offensive lineman here. He was a non-scholarship player. He and his brother developed an app while they were in high school. They sold the app and were making money off it every time it, it sold. They got a, a, a share of it. They got revenue from that. He had to take himself out of that company, out of that LLC, in order to be on our football team. Now, we're not talking about millions of dollars, but it was something that they spent a lot of time working on. They were very proud of. They had a little successful business going, why can't he do that? Why couldn't a star, uh, our, our quarterback or our, our defensive back, go to his high school, hold a youth camp for kids, charge them $10 a piece, talk to them about the values of football, put them through some drills? That was illegal before this happened. And, and they should have the right to do that. Why can't a, a local quarterback who's a freshman in high school hire a college quarterback to come and give them individual skill lessons. We do it in other sports, but football players couldn't do it in the past. They should have the ability to do that, and I'm 100% in favor of it. Now, the name, image, and likeness is really, that legislation has, has taken off the gloves. I mean, they've taken off the handcuffs off everything. Everything's a go now. I mean, people can go get agents. And if you want to hire somebody to, to promote your best interests or that can enhance your ability to make money, I think that's good. There's a flip side of that as well. You, you hire an agent and he's promoting your name, image, and likeness, and you're at a school that's located, say, in a rural area uh, out in West Texas someplace, and the agent says to the player, you know what? You've got to get to a bigger market so you can make more money. We need to get you to L.A. or we need to get you to New York City or we need to get you to Dallas. And so now the player's looking to transfer. That, and in that case, and he can transfer now, as we just talked about with the portal, but in that example, his transfer isn't generated by the fact that he was unhappy at the school. He might have been the star at the school, all right? He might have been doing well academically, but his decision to transfer is motivated by the agent wanting to get a bigger percentage of the cut that the kid has the ability to make, and so there's ways that people and third parties are going to take advantage of this that I think were unforeseen when it was just opened up. So I think there's two sides to it. As I said, I'm in favor of it because especially on our level here at Monmouth, I don't think we're going to come across the guy, at least not yet, that's, that's going to make, you know, a million dollars on it. Um, we have, we do have guys who have some deals and are making some money, which is fine. Use, their use of their name on social media and things like that. And, Hey, I'm perfectly fine with that. These kids need the ability to make some money. And and like Eddie mentioned, I think the athletic department as a whole and the university as a whole has been pretty supportive of all of those ideas. I mean, we, we want our student athletes to be able to monopolize, not monopolize, but monetize, excuse me, uh, their name and their image and their likeness. And, uh, we you know, we even allow them to do some things that other schools don't as far as using uh, copyrighted photos for, for some stuff, as long as there, you know, as long as there's no conflicts and whatnot. And, uh, hopefully that helps in recruiting too, because, you know, we want to be able to be competitive with the other 
players or the other schools, for lack of a better term, that are going out and recruiting these kids and giving all of our coaches, not just in football, but all of our coaches, the opportunity to say, hey, if you come to Monmouth, we're going to have some opportunity uh, for you to to be able to make some money while you're you're a student-athlete here. Well, I think to that point, Greg, that another, I think, unforeseen consequence of the name, image, and likeness legislation is that it has and is creating – an uneven playing field when it comes to recruitment, when it comes to retaining uh, players on your roster and in your program, because every location is not going to provide athletes with the same opportunities to take advantage of those things um, is the example that I just gave previously. And I think there's certain institutions that have a lot uh, more resources where they can promote um, the name, image, and likeness deals, not directly because I know the schools can't do that, but maybe indirectly through an alum. And, and, and that's happening as we both know. Definitely is. Um, so, so we were going on a little bit over 40 minutes and I know you have a lot of, uh, a lot of things that you need to cover uh, that are not a podcast with Eddie and I, uh, as we talked about how busy the off season has now become, but I, I do want to circle back to the class really briefly uh, and, and I was just looking at the numbers when I was putting together the press release and, and working with our recruiting coordinator, uh, TJ DiMuzio, at the time about that. And, uh, you know, looking down, the, the it's we recruit from the Northeast. We always have. We always will. But then when I started to really fill it out, I was like, wow. You know, you know, we, it was a small class, only 10 players, but seven of them are from New Jersey. And then the other three are from, from Maryland. But... Seven of the 10, 70% are from New Jersey. Now, I haven't looked at Rutgers and, and Princeton in the Ivy League. They don't announce until, I don't know, sometime in September who they signed. But I would be willing to bet that seven out of 10, 70% from New Jersey is the most out of the three schools that play Division One football in this state. Uh, how important is that? And then to piggyback on that, we're starting to get players, which I know is important, from some really marquee high school programs. You know, there's Bergen, we've had Bergen Catholic, we've had Don Bosco, St. Peter's Prep now. You know, down in Maryland, you're talking DeMatha and, and Good Counsel and, and the rest of those. And, and how, how important is that as well? Well, I think, you know, the first part of your question, you know, dealt with how important is New Jersey. Uh, when we started football, and it was back actually in 1992, a year before we took the field, our philosophy, and it still remains to this day, was to recruit from the inside out. And by that, I meant we were going to start local. We were going to start in Monmouth County. We were going to identify the best players in Monmouth County and try to recruit those young men. Then we were going to expand throughout the state of New Jersey. And every coach on our staff has an area of Monmouth and Ocean County that they recruit in the short conference. They all, each one of them has four or five schools that they have to recruit. Each one of them has a, an area within the state of New Jersey that they recruit. And that's our first priority each and every year, identifying the local players, identifying the in-state players. Now, New Jersey is one of the most recruited, or some would argue over-recruited states in the nation. And that's because it's so easily accessible. You can fly into Newark or fly into Philadelphia and really get to any high school within about an hour and a half drive. 
And, and so it, it, a lot of people recruit here, so there's a lot of competition. But there's also a lot of excellent football players in football programs that are well-coached and, 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 and high schools where football is really important. And, and that's why I think we've, we've focused on our home state of New Jersey. Um, and then as we branch out, we want to make sure that we're still Northeast-centric. So it's going to be from Central Pennsylvania East. It's going to be from the uh, uh, DMV North. And it's going to be the metropolitan New York area when we go outside of New Jersey. And if you look at our roster, that's where our players are coming from. And it's a very talent-rich area. It's, it's an area that has uh, tremendous football players, and, and football is important to these young men. Um, and our coaching staff does a great job of identifying people within their area and getting them to come to Mama. Well, Coach, we really do appreciate you taking the time. Like Greg said, this is uh, it, there is no downtime. So we always appreciate getting some some insight from you and look forward to catching up with you as we get ready for uh, year number 30 of Mammoth Football this fall, Coach. We really appreciate the time. I'm with you guys here today. Um, look forward to doing it again sometime. Well, like we talked about at the beginning of this episode of Hawk Talk, whenever we get a chance to, to sit down and talk with Kevin Callahan, it, it, it's always just an insightful, thoughtful conversation. And, you know, Greg, everyone sees the transfer portal. They see NIL. They see all the things around a program. But to be able to hear from someone who's done it as long and as well as Kevin Callahan, I think is a true treat, not only for me and you, but for our listeners. Yeah, definitely. And like I said, he's he's so open and so honest and um you know, what you see is what you get when he gives these types of interviews. And, and that's why people love to talk to him. Uh, when we do interviews, you know, we, I set up the interviews when we go on TV and the broadcasters on Saturday mornings, when I see them afterwards or before the game starts, they're always like, man, what a great conversation with coach Callahan. And he was so prepared and, and he answered every question we had. And, and we feel like we know about your team so much more. So uh, he's just, you know, he, he comes with, you know, 40 plus years of coaching Um yeah, forty-five probably closer to forty-five years of coaching, uh, but but he's just a, he's awesome and, and what a great resource and uh, you know you can just tell when when the other coaches come in and stop in that they really want to pick his brain on different stuff uh, even though they don't and have never coached a day of football in their life they're just asking him about how to coach their athletes and asking him about life and uh, that's why we knew we wanted to get him on to to talk a little bit with, with us early. Yeah, really, it's more of a leadership conversation when you sit down with with Kevin Callahan and the truly remarkable thing. And obviously you heard it throughout that entire conversation, but you know, I'm getting to a point, Greg, in my life when I'm like, Oh, that's something I don't need to learn. That's something new. Now I'm not going to bother. You mentioned it coaches going on 45 or so years in the business and he's constantly learning, constantly kind of adapting and changing. And that I think might be in addition to the kind of leadership he does, it's kind of really his, his legacy is never being like, just content with the way things are always learning, always trying to kind of gain a leg up. And and that's been in, in our time, you know, being around him and that, you know, counting my time as a student for me, it's a really long time. That's been maybe the most impressive thing to see someone in his position, be able to constantly learn, adapt and, and kind of be up on the trends as they go, not being kind of set in his ways. Yeah. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. It's uh, I think that's the biggest thing for, for coaches have been doing a long time is being able to kind of change with the times and learn how to win uh, differently, win differently. I would say that that's the uh, that's that's the quote. 
Well, and he's done a whole lot of winning, obviously. And for obviously any, any information about coach, you know, follow obviously the football team on all the social media accounts. But, but you, you want to have a really good read, just go read his bio on mamatalks.com because it really is remarkable and a lot of winning, like you mentioned. Uh, we are back to live events starting end of this week, and we cannot wait for those, Greg. We're back on the hardwood. We've got some men's basketball action. The, the team is coming off a, a 23-day pause when all is said and done on the road at St. Peter's. You and I talked about what the Peacocks bring to the table um, at, the, at, at the intro of this podcast, but if you aren't going to go to Run Baby Run Arena, which is still really weird to say, by the way, <laughs> but if you're not going to make that trip up to Jersey City, we've got you covered. We also got you covered on Sunday for the road game at Maris. If you're not going to make the trip uh, up to Poughkeepsie, we've got you. I'll be there, mamatalks.com, audio broadcast on the Mammoth Digital Network. We will we'll be following the program, obviously, the entire season uh, with great radio coverage, social coverage as well. So it's mamatalks.com, Mammoth Digital Network. You can get it from the schedule page or you can go to the Mammoth Digital Network on mamatalks.com. We will be there. Uh, we obviously are so excited to see this team back on the floor. So make sure you follow the team on the road there. But then let's just push this forward a little bit more. The next week, so now we're going about 10 days out, the Mammoth men are on the road at Fairfield. Same thing. We'll have radio coverage for you there. But, Greg, weirdly enough, that is our next home ESPN broadcast. So it's the same day. The men are at Fairfield. I'm there. But we've got you covered with a great broadcast team here in West Long Branch when the women and Ginny Boggess take on Niagara. So just because the men are away and the women are at home doesn't mean we don't cover everything. We've got you covered wall-to-wall with coverage the rest of the season. Uh, And then we are off and running, Greg, once we kick things off on Friday for what's going to be a wild few weeks uh, getting us ready for the MAC tournament. Definitely. Get out to the arena. We love to see you. Mask up. We'll see you out there. That's right. Make sure that you obviously take all the precautions Needed, like Greg said, wear a mask when you come to the Ocean First Bank Center. You also need proof of vaccination or a negative test within 72 hours. And we look forward to seeing you there and having you follow along with our team all winter long. For my broadcast partner today, our producer, my co-host, my friend Greg Vescomi, I'm Eddie Akapensky. We really thank you for listening to this episode of Paul Talk. Production of the Monmouth Digital Network. Hawk Talk is available on all major podcast distribution sites, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Audible, Pandora, and more. All rights reserved.